Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. Money FM 89.3. Good evening. It is drive time with Elliot Danker, Timothy Go, and Chua Tian Tian. It's time now for Market View. The news of the week takes a bit of a turn as mm. lawyers get involved. But uh, first things first, let's uh, get a quick recap of how we started the day. Yeah, can't wait to talk about that part where lawyers come in, uh, Elliot. Uh, but Singapore shares opened higher today after US and Europe equities rose overnight. So if we look at the Straits Times Index, that was 0.8% higher in early trade at 3 1,163 points after some 73 million securities changed hands. Now, after the closing numbers, the benchmark STI closed up 1.09%. We're looking at 3,173 points. In terms of value turnover, that's some 967 million Sing dollars. Now, gainers outnumbered losers 319 versus 234. In terms of top advances for the day, new incorporation USD, DBS, Jardin, in cycle and carriage. Now, top decliners, AMSGD, Resources Global and Bukit Sembawang. Now, further abroad, lawyers get involved. Lawyers from Switzerland, the US and UK, they are talking to a number of Credit Suisse additional Tier 1 or 81 bondholders about potential legal action after the takeover by UBS wiped out 81 bonds. But question really is, what can we expect on this front? So let's pose these questions to Ken Shi, Head of Wealth Management, Greater China at Sexo Markets. Well, Ken, I understand you're usually based in Hong Kong. Now you're in Singapore for a conference by a very large asset manager and you are taking this interview on site. So um, thanks very much for taking the time out. Yeah, thank you so much for the invite. I uh, haven't been back to Singapore in a few years, so loving the Singapore team being back. And great to have you on the show with us as well. Uh, Ken, let's start with the Singapore stock market as usual. How did the SDI fare today? Yeah, so I think with the STI, uh, what we saw was the updates, which mentioned up about a percent, which uh, kind of mirrored the relief rally that we saw overnight in the U.S. market. Mm. On the back of really hope that at least at this point, the banking turmoil would be contained because uh, obviously clearly, as we saw with Silicon Valley Bank, down to First Federal, and then now obviously with Credit Suisse, uh, that's actually caused a lot of jitters amongst uh, investors. But having said that, given it's a mirror of the overnight stock market, I think no major surprises. But um, I think what, what's interesting to point out is that financial, the rebound has actually been rather muted because um, we saw most of uh, the largest banks uh, in Singapore, right, GBS, uh, OCBC, UOB, I think up and maybe about 1% to 2% over uh, today, which is actually pretty similar to what's happening in the U.S. market. Uh, but given the focus of most global markets has really been on banking stocks, I would say to a lot of investors, at least for now, very short term, uh, we are seeing some temporary exhaustion in terms of selling of the banking stocks. But having said that, speaking to a lot of investors and all our asset managers, I think the interest has also been quite little to buy this particular group, uh, given the potential surprises that we may see in the pipeline. Hmm. Uh, Ken, just to expand on that a little bit, would you say the banking stocks are what's driving Singapore markets right now? What else can we expect on that front? Yeah, I, I would say it's not technically banking stocks that are driving that, but okay. particularly on more of a, uh, I would say, regional and global basis, that would definitely element for that. Mm. So in my mind, there are three drivers right now in the market. The first driver, as we all mentioned, with the uh, the action coming after the forced $3 billion, uh, what I put in air quotes, marriage by Credit Suisse and UBS, uh, engineered by the Swiss government. Clearly, that has caused uh, a lot of volatility in the market. The second thing we'd actually be talking about is uh, more in the U.S. So after Silicon Valley Bank, the next one to go down uh, after signature was uh, First Republic Bank. 
But there was actually quite a lot of news in regards to J.P. Morgan Chase now actually advising them in terms of strategic alternatives. Uh, but having said that, the stock's down a lot, right? Overnight down mm. 47%, but down 90% since March 8th. But last but not least, I think speaking to a lot of clients and also asset managers, I think the sentiment is very fragile on the ground, both overseas and locally here. Uh, and we have a number of clients quite concerned, uh, as Kent mentioned earlier, in regards right. to the complete write down of the 81 bonds that are uh, associated with Credit Suisse. But we can go into that a little bit further as well. Right. So let's talk about that uh, Credit Suisse and additional tier one bonds, 81 bonds. Lawyers from Switzerland, the US, the UK, they are talking to a number of Credit Suisse 81 bondholders about possible legal action because the takeover by UBS essentially wiped out 81 bonds. Do you think they have a case? And what is the current sentiment on 81 bonds then? Yeah, sure. So clearly I'm not a legal professional, but having said that, uh, I think, um, you know, if I were to comment on the kind of the unfortunate additional tier 181 bondholders mm. of Credit Suisse, um, I think looking at all the law firms now coming out uh, and actually taking the charge, I think there may be a case uh, because there is some controversy, and I want to highlight that. The controversy is, uh, for those of us who understand, normally speaking, 81 bonds are the riskiest bonds that a bank can carry, and there's one segment above common stock, like regular shares. So in the case of kind of a liquidation event or what they call a viability event, 81s would normally be paid before common stock. But in the case of UBS and Credit Suisse, uh, this is very strange in the sense that they mm. triggered a complete write-down, so a complete write-off down to $0 for credits, which is uh, 17.3 billion 81 bonds. Uh, essentially, this represents 6% of the market share of Europe's uh, uh, 270 billion 81 market. And so this is one of the worst losses, uh, I think, in its history. But having said that, the actual Credit Suisse bond common uh, stockholders will actually get something back. Peanuts, but they will actually get something back. And I think that's where the controversy comes in. But for a lot of investors, what I highlight to them is that 81 bonds are designed as high-yield instruments to really mm. absorb shocks when banks start to fail. As such, their holders are actually contractually obligated, or at least they agreed to a complete write-off if there are very extreme viability events. And given the fact that over, like, over the past few days, when we saw the details emerge for Credit Suisse and also for UBS, the fact that the numbers were going from $1 billion, $2 billion, $3 billion, and it was moving so fast, I think it's very likely that uh, the situation may very well become a sorry luck, better luck, better luck next time type situation for a lot of credit Suisse 81 bondholders, which we learned today included notable names like financial names like PIMCO and Invesco as well. So I think, um, you know, maybe they do have a case, but um, I, I think in the end it may very well be just a, a hard lesson learned for a lot of these bondholders. Mm, that's a pretty good breakdown there. Uh, we are on the line with uh, Ken She, who's head of wealth management at Greater China Saxo Markets. Um, can can I bring the conversation to the impact of uh, the ongoing banking crisis in the U.S. and Europe on Asia? Uh, private sector economists saying that central banks in Asia are unlikely to be greatly influenced by the ongoing turmoil. Can I get your opinion on this? Yeah, no problem. So I, I think, generally speaking, there is. Um the impact will probably be minimal for most Asian banks, particularly Chinese banks, because mm-hmm. they don't really require on overseas debt to really finance their capital. So the contagion effect, at least here in APAC, particularly in China, I think is a bit more muted at the point. Uh, but having said that, obviously your question is, well, for the time being, this may not impact policy decisions ahead, at least for the time being. But what I communicate to clients and investors is really this is a time to likely err on the side of caution. Because there probably be a number of banks, particularly in the U.S., but maybe even here in APAC, who may have actually questionable banking sheets and health. 
So I think the best solution is not really looking at the banking industry as a whole, but really for us to maybe look at individual banks and their balance sheets to really uh, kind of analyze where they are right now. But having said that, I think looking ahead, there may actually be a lot of active stock selection opportunity because there's a huge divergence right now amongst the banks themselves. So I think for a lot of active managers, there may actually be some opportunity here. Right. And uh, to what extent can do you think we can see or expect inflows uh, inflows of funds into Asia and particularly into the greater China region, uh, which is uh, where you're looking at as well. Can Asia be sort of considered as a safe haven as far as the banking sector is concerned, also given that uh, the interest rates in, in Asia is sort of lower when you compare that against that in the US and Europe? Yeah, so this is kind of, I would say, a yes and no answer. Yes, from maybe a returns perspective. No, from maybe a fundamental perspective. So let me put it this way. Um, particularly after we saw um, the demise of uh, Silicon Valley Bank, mm. we saw a huge divergence in terms of returns between U.S. banks and Chinese banks. So since March 8th till today, U.S. banks are on average down about uh, 24%, the major banks, while Chinese banks are only down 0.6%. So the mm. outperformance is already 23.4%, right? But having said that, Fundamentally, when we look at a lot of Chinese banks, they also have their own challenges. Now, uh, earlier I mentioned they don't rely on offshore debt. That's great. But having said that, their problems are much more on the asset side of things. Well, when we look at their loan book quality or maybe even their what we call the net interest margin, which is a measure of the net return on a bank's earning asset, mm-hmm. this may be the weak link for a lot of Chinese banks. So I think, uh, although for, you know, for many Western banks, the concern is on the liability side, on the Chinese bank, they have their own issues as well. So I think, um, having mm-hmm. said that, for a lot of other Asian banks, I, I think it's important for us to look individually at their capital structure to make sure that at least, um, you know, I think from a bank-to-bank basis, I think the variance could be quite high. Uh, but one last thing I wanted to mention was um, after the demise of Silicon Valley Bank, I think one thing that cannot be overlooked is the loss of confidence on the banking sector. Mm. I think right now sentiment is quite emotional and also quite fragile. So I think uh, particularly once if there's uh, whether news or rumors of other banks uh, having run into issues, I, I think we might be actually pretty heavy action in the market. Right. And before we let you go, Ken, here's sure. a question that we've been asking our guests uh, much of this week, and we'll continue to ask this question until we get our answers on Thursday. So where do you think the Fed will take interest rates when they announce their decision on Wednesday night, which is Thursday Singapore time? Do you belong to that 25 BPS camp or the zero BPS camp? Well, I'm glad there's only two choices. <laughs> is there a third choice? Having said <laughs> Uh, there's there's definitely been some analysts out there who call some much more crazier numbers. But uh, mm. having said that, uh, I think although there are plenty of reasons uh, for why the Fed should consider a hold, so the zero basis point, not mm. no hike. Yeah. But I'm I'm honestly more in the camp of uh, Jerome Powell still coming out symbolically and saying that they're raising 25 basis points yeah. and letting everyone know that inflation is still elevated. It will still remain hawkish because I think on some level, even though it is questionable after such an aggressive uh, hiking pace. Uh, in the past 12 months. Um, I think if they gave up right now, uh, I think a 25 basis point hike is kind of a nice compromise between the earlier expectation of almost 50 basis point hike. So is it safe to say that a 50 BPS is off the table for now? Yeah, I would say it's highly unlikely at this point, um, mainly mm. because part of it is uh, um, elevation numbers, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, inflation numbers have started to soften a bit. And on top of that, I think uh, they're also quite concerned about the stability of the financial market as yeah. well. So I think that's something that maybe to keep in mind. Right, so a compromise there. Thanks very much, Ken. That was Ken Shi, Head of Wealth Management, Greater China at Sexo Markets. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. 
Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.